Section 7 of The Rover, Volume 1, Number 16. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Tad Davis, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The Rover, Volume 1, Number 16, edited by Seba Smith and Lawrence Labrie. Section 7. Mary Magdalene, A Tradition of Nain. Mary arose from the crimson pillows on which she had been reposing, and approaching the window, drew back with the silken rope the heavy draperies of purple inwrought with gold which shaded the apartment from the direct rays of the sun, and gazed with a thoughtful brow out on the quiet streets of the city of Nain. Beyond the walls lay the sea, whose waters reflected back to heaven the thousand resplendent lights and shadows scattered along the western horizon by the flashing rays of the setting sun, and in the far distance, like a streak of gray clouds, lay the mountains of Judea. Many a shallop, richly laden, was gliding over the still waters, some bound outward, freighted with rich dyes and stuffs of Nazareth, some coming into port bearing treasures of gold and jewels from distant lands, others with costly silks and fine paintings, polished mirrors of steel and silver, and pearls and wrought ivory from the Ionian Isles. The chant of the oarsmen, as their oars, splashed lazily in the glowing waters, came faintly and sweetly on the ear, and the white sails, scarcely swelling in the breeze, looked like saffron-tinted clouds. Then came stealing and chirping on the stillness of the vesper hymns of the birds, and blending as they did with the gradually decreasing hum of the city, as the evening mist brooded over it, they were sounds which shed over the spirit of Mary Magdalene a something like peace. A band of young and beauteous maidens, now tripped along with jars filled from the purest well in the city, then came a crowd of children dancing to the cymbals and lutes, and trailing after them long vines of flowers and interwoven wreaths, and sending out their joyous laughter and sounds of mirth which well accorded with the sweet harmony of music. Mary Magdalene turned her eyes wearily away from those tokens of peace and joy, and leaning her head against a pillar, wept. A low, sweet voice aroused her, singing an old Jewish song which told in sad poetry the tale of a broken heart. The singer was a young and lovely girl, just blushing into the morning of life. Her skin was like polished ivory, save where a rose tint flushed her cheeks and dyed the tips of her taper fingers. Her large blue eyes were cast downward, and the full red lips just parted enough to reveal two rows of pearl-like teeth. Her exquisitely formed arms and bust, combined with a slight and graceful figure, now half-hidden by a profusion of sunny hair, which fell back from her sad childish forehead and swept the mosaic pavement, completed the beautiful picture. Mary started, as the voice told her, her slave had been a witness to her emotion, and raising her magnificent form to its utmost height, while her commanding black eye flashed with anger, exclaimed, Thou here? 
Away, slave! How dost thou dare see me weep? The timid voice was stifled, and the fair young head bowed in silence and tears. After gazing on the young maiden a few moments, during which short space, anger, contempt, and an expression of mysterious bitterness alternately changed her countenance, the touching and beautiful grief of Addie moved her better spirit and chased away every feeling except pity. Come hither, Addie. Come hither, poor bird. Forgive thy mistress's wayward mood and sing again, but sing something to enliven my heart, for it is heavy and sad, child. Sing something to stir the still fountain of gladness. Sing, sing, Addie. Is not thy cage a gilded one? Then wherefore sad and silent? The star that lit my path, lady, is gone out. Zimri, the widow's son, is dead. Huh? Dead? Poor child, I pity thee. Yet, Addie, come hither. I would tell thee, maiden, to cherish a love for the dead. Let it not go out, and leave thy heart like the waters of that sea whose sullen waves cover those olden cities which were destroyed in their might and glory by Jehovah. Thou hast heard of the fruits which grow on its banks. Yea, lady, let love for the dead go out, and thou wilt become like like me, yes, Addie, me, beautiful and bright to the eye, but within bitterness and ashes. But hark! Oh, lady, sobbed the young slave, that sound of grief is the wail of Zimri's mother and kinsman. They are bearing him past to the grave. Addie rushed to the window and straining her eyes through the misty twilight saw the bier on which was laid the dead body of Zimri, and over it the bending form of his widowed mother weeping, and by the torch's light which they carried, the sorrowful faces of his kinsmen. "'They are coming, lady,' she cried to Mary, who had thrown herself again on the crimson pillows of her couch. "'Oh, Zimri, is that still form never more to move? Methinks I see now the smile on his white lips,' and the waves of his shining hair on his gentle brow. See, lady, they are beneath the window, and the pall has fallen so closely around him that you can see the beauty of his form even in death. How? Why do they stop? A crowd approaches. Who? What? Ah, it is Jesus and his followers. Mary started from her recumbent posture, and throwing back the tresses of long black hair which had fallen like a veil around her, with a look of intense anxiety gazed on the face of Addie, who, unheeding her mistress's emotion, continued, He is like one of our mountain palms in his majesty. His brow is like the evening star, and his serene lips drop honey. He approaches the widow. He looks on her tears with eyes of tender pity. He speaks. He raises his face toward heaven and reaches forth his hand and lays it on the dead. God of my fathers, the dead! And with a loud and piercing shriek, she rushed forth into the streets. Mary started up 
with an expression of dread and wonder, and looking down on the crowd below, saw the youth arising from his bier at the command of Jesus. She saw him with the warm breath of life in his nostrils, who a few moments past was dead and cold. And as the shouts from the assembled people rent the air, many of whom were now willing to believe on and worship him who had wrought the miracle, he bowed his head meekly on his bosom and gathered the folds of his garment around him, glided noiselessly away from the multitude. After long hours of abstraction, Mary lifted her head from her bosom and, approaching a mirror, folded her arms and gazed on her image with an expression of scorn and bitterness. Anon tears coursed over her flushed cheeks, her bosom heaved as if some pent-up agony wrung her heart. "'Why art thou weeping?' said a voice near her. "'Why art thou weeping, Mary?' "'Ha! Philon!' "'Ay, Philon!' he answered. "'Philon, the king's son, who abides here in the common garb of a publican to be near thee!' "'Go to thy father's palace again, Philon!' answered Mary sadly and without turning to look on the beautiful youth with his brown curling hair and dark blue eyes which gazed with incredulous wonder on her. Mary, said he, thou art angered with me. I came but to bring a parting gift, Mary. My father is wroth against me because I am not at the head of his soldiery and hath sent his chief officer to bring me to his presence." But I will go out of the city to-night, while he sleepeth, and, ere the first watches of the morning, Philon will be on his war-horse with helmet and battle-spear and plume, and ready for the fight. Her lips quivered and paled as she turned and looked on him, and her voice was plaintive as she replied, Go, Philon, thou art bright and beautiful in mine eyes and verily have I loved thee. But go, I pray never more to see that face again, I pray never more to hear the words of thy silvery and honey tongue again. I have sinned, go from me. He looked steadfastly and sternly on her while she spoke, and with a searching glance said, Hast thou seen the Nazarene who calleth himself Jesus? I have, she answered calmly, and tomorrow, while thou art going to battle, I shall be kneeling in the dust at his feet. Philon laughed tauntingly, and turning on his iron heel, replied, Look on my gift, Mary. And he laid an exquisite wrought casket at her feet. The light from the scented lamp, which threw upward delicious odors from its silver pedestal, shone down on the interior of the casket and glittered on the gold and precious stones that were therein, in many-hued sparkles of brilliance. There was also an alabaster box set round with jewels, which contained spikenard and ointment, such as queens used. Hence, tempter! she shrieked, hence, or I will send thy name out on the ears of the sleepers of Nain like tenfold thunder. Hence, I say, for the devils which tear my soul are raving within me.
Unaccustomed to her strange mood, he left the apartment hastily. She threw herself prostrate on the floor and pressed her burning forehead against the cold marble, and writhed and wept and sorrowed mightily, for mightily had the Magdalene sinned. When she arose from her humble posture, it was past the middle watch of the night, and the inhabitants of the city had gone to rest, and all was silent save the watch-cry of the sentinel as he passed the wall, and the occasional clamor of his armor as he changed from hand to hand his heavy spear. The rippling of gentle waves on the distant sea came singing past, mingled with scented winds, which had been sleeping through the day amid the orange groves and blossoms, and the moon, like a crescent of diamonds, showered a flood of serene and beautiful glory over the earth. But still Mary could not slumber or rest. A costly robe of crimson, confined around the waist by a girdle inwrought with precious stones, fell in rich folds around her voluptuous form, and the long black braids of hair, which, when unconfined, swept the floor as she stood, were gathered up in plates and curls, and secured by bodies of gold and strings of rubies and pearls. Her arms, bared almost to the shoulders, were entwined with links of precious stones and silver, and, as she paced with a rapid step to and fro the apartment, the constant glitter of her feet displayed a costly taste in sandals, which were embroidered with tiny pearls and gems, and fastened by clasps of heavy polished silver. She looked out on the heavens, peaceful and bright in their glory of azure and silver, then scanned with a restless eye the calm landscape below. All were at rest. The very dogs had ceased baying at the moon, and were slumbering quietly in their chains. She turned and gazed round her apartment. The singing birds were sleeping with their glossy heads behind their wings, undisturbed by the fountain which bubbled from the marble laver and trickled down its sides with a ringing sound. Addie, the beautiful one, was dreaming of Zimri, for there was a tear stealing over the roses of her smiling cheek. Nowhere that she turned could Mary see or hear aught to still the agonies which tore her heart. She snatched her harp and commenced many soothing melodies, but her fingers trembled, and her hand fell along the chords and crushed the music. It was thrown aside, and, crossing her arms over her bosom, she lifted her pallid face, and, closing her eyes as if to shut out, every object which had grown familiar, sat like some breathless statue awaiting the touch of Promethean fires to start it into life. But soon her breast began to heave, and her white teeth were pressed on her lips until the red blood gushed from beneath them. She threw her arms on high, and with a cry of anguish, cast herself on her knees in all the despairing sorrow of a repentance like hers. She tore from her hair the gems which fell like a shower of glory around her, and trampled beneath her feet the casket of precious jewelry, until the floor was strewed with its rich contents and sprinkled ashes on her head and wept tears such as never had welled up from her heart before. 
Addie, who had been awakened by the unrestrained grief of her mistress, ran and knelt at her feet, and clasped her knees, and comprehending well from her expressions the cause of her woe, exclaimed, "'Go to him, go to him who raised the dead!' and wherefore o maiden should i the sinful go to him o lady if the sleeper in the valley of death heareth his voice thy spirit can hear it and to hear it is to love the mild and consoling words of addie as she told of what she had seen and heard at the raising of the widow's son and of what the disciples preached daily soothed mary's troubled spirit and something like hope of eventual peace sprung up in her heart and she laid her head on the bosom of her handmaiden who clasped her beauteous arms around her and laid her cool innocent cheek on the burning throbbing brow of mary and thus the two sat one breathing hopes of forgiveness the other listening as if life hung on each word until day began to dawn behind the blue hills on that day when the master sat at meat with simon a rich and learned pharisee of nain a woman came and knelt at his feet and bending her veiled head low to the floor watered them with her tears and unbinding her hair wiped them with the heavy shining curls then kissed them and anointed them with ointment the perfumes of which filled the vast room and he knew that she was a sinner who thus humbly and silently asked for pardon and said thy sins which are many are forgiven thee thy faith has saved thee go in peace mary magdalene was no more seen in nain after kneeling at the saviour's feet and hearing his assurance of forgiveness she sold her gold and silver and gems and gave much goods to the poor she was no more seen in nain in the flashing glory of her beauty but went forth alone into the wilderness and in the solemn solitude of its silence raised an altar to him who had forgiven her sins. End of section 7 Read by Tad Davis June 12, 2021